lead pastor here, and today we're talking about It's My Life, right? It's My Life. Well, before we do that, you know, uh, Sawyer was talking about our GO team, our global outreach team going to Estonia. I believe that we have some people watching right now from Stockholm. So that's pretty cool, right? We have our team that's in Stockholm at the airport watching us in our service. That's pretty cool, right? Can we say hi? Hey! I'm glad you guys are watching. We have some other people joining us online. So let's continue to pray for this GO team uh, this week and in the couple weeks coming up uh, because they are doing some really cool work as we're helping people follow Jesus in the most atheistic country in the world, uh, which is really cool that we get to be a part of that. Um, Also, remember, I just want to say it again and again, besides I, I need one more person for my basketball team, but besides that, um, for our night service, you guys heard about that, right? hope that you guys are getting excited praying about this. Our night service, we're launching on September 8th, 6.30 p.m., Sunday nights. Here, we are so excited about that, and we are praying and looking for um, 15 people to step up and volunteer for that service and 50 people to say, hey, this will be my service that I'll go to. I'll attend it. I'll make that my service. So if you're interested, mark that on your connection card, even if you just want to get more information about it and be kept up to date as we get a little closer. That's close, right? Two months away. And I want everyone, because if you're like, hey, Matt, I'm an early riser. I need to be here 9 a.m. It's not even soon enough. I want it at 8 a.m. Why isn't that our next service that we're adding? I get it. Hey, if that's you, think who in your life needs to go to a night service. I want everyone to think of that one person right now. Can you think of somebody that maybe works Sundays or sleeps in late Sundays? Think of that person in your mind right now, because you are going to invite that person September 8th. Before then, hopefully, right? You're going to invite that one person, pray for them, so that they might come and and join our church and we can help them follow Jesus as well. So think about that. But today in our series, we are in that series through the book of Ecclesiastes. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And today we are going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. So go ahead and open your Bibles if you have them or a smartphone. You can follow along. We'll have the verses up here on the screen behind me as well. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, it's my life. It's my life, now or never. Did you know you guys are going to die? Yeah, you're going to die. I hate to break the news to you, but you are going to die, every single one of you. Now, I'm not saying you're going to die today, but you will die at some point. I don't know when. You don't know when. But we're all going to die. That's guaranteed, right? Did you hear the old ancient story? There was a merchant in Baghdad. Have you heard this story? And in Baghdad, the, the merchant's servant decided to go down to the marketplace to purchase some goods. And he went down to the marketplace. And as he's walking in the crowd, he gets jostled and he turns around. And there staring him in the face is death. And death looks at him and points. Well, the servant's freaked out. He's white. He's terror-stricken. And he runs back to the merchant and he tells him the story. And he says, please, master, can you give me your horse so that I can get out of here And go to Samara where I'll be safe to hide from death. So the merchant allows him to go and he gallops off to Samara. Well then the merchant goes down himself to the marketplace. And he sees death there standing in the crowd and he approaches him and said, Why did you scare my servant so much? Why did you point at him? And uh, death said, Well, I I wasn't pointing at him. I was startled. I have an appointment with him tonight in Samara. You see, we all have an appointment with death at some point. We don't know when it's going to come or when it will happen or where it will happen, but it's coming. We can try to avoid it. We can try to hide from it, but it's coming. We will all face death. 
But do you know what we do in our culture today? We deny it. We deny it. We try to hide from it and not think about it. There's a, a great anthropologist, Dr. Ernest Becker, and he studied our culture and our perspective on death. And he wrote, the idea of death, the fear of it, haunts the human animal like nothing else. It is a mainspring of human activity, activity designed largely to avoid the fatality of death, to overcome it by denying in some way that it is the final destiny for man. He wrote this in his book, The Denial of Death, for which he won a Pulitzer Prize two months after he died. Interesting, right? He knew that death was coming as he was diagnosed with cancer, and he looked at our culture, and we do everything we can to entertain ourselves, to keep ourselves busy with work and life and TV, just to stop thinking about death, because that's not going to happen to us. But the reality is it's coming. Another American writer, Susan Sontag, once wrote that death is the obscene mystery, the ultimate affront, the thing that cannot be controlled, it can only be denied. Well, hate to say it today, but I'm telling you, we can't deny it anymore. We need to think about it. And our passage today that Solomon wrote years ago is to lead us into the realization that we will die. And it's actually a good thing to realize this and stop denying it. It's actually helpful to us and to our lives to think about death. And that's what we're going to see today, that there's some really good things for my life right now, for living now, when we actually think about and process the reality of our own death. And it's not just to do what Yogi Berra told us to do. Always go to other people's funerals. Otherwise, they won't come to yours. Did you get it? Think about it for a second. We're all going to die. So we need to think about it. And in our search for meaning, that was Solomon. That is his search for meaning in this book of Ecclesiastes as he was going after this and that and trying this and that. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. We're calling this series... We have to look in our life, if we want to make sense of it, if we want to have meaning in it, we have to have meaning in our own deaths. We've got to find meaning for ourselves in death itself. So that's what we're going to do in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. If you have that Bible, open it up. In verse 1, we start. Verse 1, we read, So I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. But no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good, so with the sinful. Now, as we read this, we have to keep in mind Solomon's premise here. Throughout this whole book, he kept using that phrase about 28 times, under the sun or under the heavens. Because he's saying, if you just look at our human perspective, if you take God out of it, just what we see in this world under the sun, things are bleak. We're all going to die, and we don't know what happens to us when we die. This is the perspective of just under the sun, okay? Keep that in mind as we go through this passage. Remember that. But he says, hey, we're going to die, and then something's going to happen. Whether you are a good person or a bad person, whether you're clean or unclean, those were Jewish ritualistic language to talk about whether someone was pure or impure, righteous or unrighteous, whether you're a good person going to the temple to offer sacrifices, whether you're here on Sunday morning to worship every single week or not, everyone is going to die. Right? We're all going to die. 
when I was a pastor in Nebraska, I did a ton of funerals, 25 in five years. And I remember doing a funeral for a great man in his 90s who had served in World War II, was a fire chief, a great respected man, and well-loved, a true patriarch for his family. It was a beautiful funeral packed in this building. There's a 21-gun salute. It was, it was powerful. And I also remember doing another funeral for a man who was a drug addict, basically homeless, in and out of rehab, who stole things. And I did his funeral too. And guess what? Both of their bodies were just as lifeless. Sure, what people said about it, but they were dead there. Their bodies were there in the casket. I saw it. We need to realize that death comes to us all, and that's what Solomon wants us to open up our eyes to. It's reality. You can't have a meaningful life if you don't look this reality square in the face. He continues on in verse 3. He says, This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live, and afterward they join the dead. Pretty bleak, right? Pretty depressing view of humanity, but he's just saying, hey, this is what I see. There's a lot of evil people, and everyone dies. Whew. And then in verse 4, he writes, Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even their name is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. He talks in verse 6 about their love, their hate, and their jealousy, because those are super powerful emotions, right? Most of our life is driven around love and hate, around these powerful emotions we have, and he says, guess what, you're going to die and all that will be forgotten. Be long past. Won't matter anymore. He uses an interesting saying because he says a live dog is better than off than a dead lion. We don't really understand it because we all have dogs and dogs are our man's best friend, right? Who in here has a dog? Who in here has a cat? Okay, we're not supposed to judge people, but I don't know about you guys. Okay. We have dogs in our culture, right? I think 60% of people own a dog. People love dogs. Some of you have multiple dogs. We love dogs in our culture. They're man's best friend. But if you go to third world countries, you'll know what he's talking about. Because dogs are not pets. They are mangy animals that have big, strong teeth that are roaming the streets, eating trash. They might have rabies. They might attack you. They roam in packs. Have you ever seen this? Anybody who's been to a third world country? I've seen it. You're terrified when you see dogs. I went running one morning in Bolivia when I was there on a mission trip out by myself. It was beautiful, and there was this huge pack of dogs ahead. I turned the other direction and ran. You know, I never ran as fast in my life because it's scary. Dogs in the Middle East at this time were considered, you know, they're these pack animals. They're like rats, but vicious. They'll attack you. They were considered mangy. In fact, the term dog was an insult, even a racist slur that people would use for each other. You dog. It wasn't a good thing. So what Solomon is saying, that terrible, mangy, mongrel of an animal is better off than a lion, the king of all animals. The king of all animals who has a whole pride that, that works for him. That's what he's saying. So you're better off to be a mangy mongrel than the king of all animals. Why? Because it's alive. He's saying from under the sun, if you look at our perspective, 
living's where it's at. But we're all going to die. We're all going to die. You know, this bleak reality that Solomon addresses, that he's willing to be honest about, and we, we've talked about this, that this is considered the truest of all books, according to a famous English author, Herman Melville. It's the truest of all books because it's just honest. We're all going to die. We're all going to face that future. And what we need to do is look at it. I feel like Solomon is like the dog owner, too. You know, when the dog messed up, takes, takes the dog, look at it, look what you did. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever done that to your dog when you're training a dog? That's what Solomon's doing. Look at it, you're going to die. Do you realize it? Look at it. That's what Solomon's saying. Look at it because, as we'll go into in this next section, when we actually look death in the face, realize it's coming for us, it should change how we live now. It really should. It should change our life now. In fact, there's a lot of wisdom that can be gained from this. In Psalm 90:12, the psalmist would say, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. When we realize that we have a limited lifespan, it's going to teach us wisdom. It's going to change how we live right now. So I want us to do that this morning. I want us to think about it. You can go on denying it after you leave here. You can just amuse yourself to death, as the great book is titled. But I want for this moment, this morning, for you to look death in the face so that you may gain a heart of wisdom, so that you may find that your life could be better. We have a guy in our church named Matt Boxley. He's not here this morning. But I, I met Matt not too long ago. You may know him because he has four little girls. And you'll see them coming in. They're a whole troop. And I talked with Matt, and I was just saying, hey, Matt, tell me a little bit about yourself. And, and he said, you know, Matt, something the most important thing about me was that I almost died. I said, oh, tell me about it. And I asked him if I could share this story with you. He said, well, um, my wife and I, we were driving from Denver to Bozeman, Montana for a vacation, and we were driving in our Toyota 4Runner, and we hit a patch of black ice, slid, we rolled over multiple times, landed in the middle of the interstate. He said, and we emerged without a physical scrape on our bodies. And he said, it was really hard for people to understand what we went through. But he said, they even experienced some PTSD from this, from the trauma of this event. And he said, we tried to tell our friends because our whole outlook on life had changed now. He said, up to that point, I was thinking, okay, I've got to go to grad school to get my degree. Then I can start my career and then we can buy a house. And then maybe someday we'll have a family. But he said, but we changed our minds like that. Because all that stuff can get taken away in a moment. And this is what he said. Uh, I had him write this down for me. And this is what he said. He said, the fear of death ironically gave me a greater appreciation of being alive. I strongly believe that an individual may not fully comprehend or be truly grateful for their life until they've escaped death. They didn't change everything. And that's why they have four girls now. In grad school, we can put that on hold. We want our family, the things that we love the most now. It changed how we look. And that's what happens when we look death square in the face. It changes how we live. It changes how we live. And I want us to understand this so much that I think we need to learn the words of the great Scottish poet William Wallace. Let that in. 
Did you catch that? Can you show that again so that people can get this? What do you say? Every man dies. Not every man really lives. That's how big I can get with that. Every man dies, not every man really lives. And, and I'm not just trying to single out men and masculinity. I'm just saying, hopefully you will remember this because some of you have seen Braveheart. You remember what William Wallace said. So this applies to men and women. We're using that in the gender-neutral sense of the word man, mankind. You guys got me, okay? I'm not trying to exclude everyone because everyone will die, men and women. But the point is that every man dies and not every man really lives. Are we really living? I think that the reality of death should change how we live. Some of you need to look that in the face right now and change how you're living now because of your death that will come when you don't know. Tracking with me? I think you guys can remember that now, right? Every man dies, not every man really lives. Can you say that? Every man dies, not every man really lives. I think we can remember this and we need to remember this. Because this, right after this section when Solomon looks death square in the face, he gives us four practical applications for how we should live differently, to how to really live. So I want you to see this starting in verse 7. In verse 7, Solomon says, Go, eat your food with gladness, and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved of what you do. We've seen this phrase that he's used multiple times, eat drink, be merry, you know, he said that, okay. But here he says, eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart. What he's saying here is not just eat food, drink, and, and be merry. He's saying you've got to change your attitude. You need to adjust your attitude. Seriously, if you want a better life now, you should adjust how you live. When you think about that, I will die at some point, I should cherish the moments I have. I should savor every bite of the meal. I don't know, did you guys have some good food on the 4th of July? I smoked up some ribs. I was a little biased, but I thought they were pretty good. I, I, I want to savor those meals. And if you're like, drinking wine, is that, is that okay? There are reasons why people don't drink alcohol, but even Jesus in his first miracle turned water into wine. Let's not forget that, okay? So some of you will say, because of family reasons, because of personal reasons, because of my background, I will not drink wine. Awesome. We want to support you in that. But some of you just need to say, hey, I want to enjoy the things God has for me. And he's saying to do them in a way that honors God, as we'll see here in just a second, so it's not getting drunk. There are very explicit commands in the Bible to not get drunk. But there is a time that we can enjoy the things God has given us with gladness, with a joyful heart, whatever it is, the food, the drink, the things we do, the people we spend time with, we need to enjoy them and cherish those moments. It's amazing how, how quick you that our parents know how, how quick the time goes by with your children. What if we cherished those moments? What if we changed our attitude? What if we went in and whatever we were doing, we decided, hey, I'm going to have an attitude of gladness, an attitude of joy. I'm going to embrace this moment. And that leads us to our second application in verse 8. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Now, this is tricky to interpret, uh, but... But probably being clothed in white was like what you wore um, for a wedding, clothed in white in those days. It also has a symbol of purity, and that's why I think we can clearly know that Solomon didn't say, just go have a, a crazy bash and get as drunk as you want. No, no, no. Okay, there's still an element of purity in there. But anointing your head with oil, this was done so that you'd smell good when you went out. This is what you dressed in when you were going to a party. 
Solomon is saying, hey, we need to celebrate every moment. Celebrate every moment. We need to cherish it and we need to celebrate it. Okay, you guys tracking with me? Do you guys celebrate the moments? Do you try to say, hey, I'm going to celebrate every little thing. I'm going to give people high fives, not say, oh, nah, that was okay. No, no, no. If there was something good, celebrate it. If you think something good, say something good. Celebrate the little moments. We celebrated McKinley's half birthday yesterday. I've never had a half birthday celebration, but why not? I was like, it's July 5th. It's her two and a half year birthday. Let's make some cupcakes. Why not? Let's celebrate the fun little moments. Let's add extra moments to celebrate. Let's go out to eat. Let's celebrate. Let's have that favorite uh, cake because it's time to celebrate because you're alive. You're alive. And a third application Solomon gives in verse 9. He says, enjoy life with your wife, whom you love all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days, for this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. We know that he has this under the sun mentality that life is meaningless, havel, that's a vapor that will be gone. But he's saying, hey, if you have a significant relationship with your spouse, enjoy it. It's amazing how many of us have forgotten to enjoy our spouses. Do you realize that they are there for you to enjoy? To enjoy every moment with your spouse, whether it's your wife or your husband. And, and you know, I think this even includes a sexual element too. Can I say that? In, in Proverbs chapter 5, we read, May you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. There should be a physical enjoyment of your spouse. It's like, well, man, it's been a few years. Well, it's time to start, okay? It's in the Bible. Okay, we need to enjoy ourselves. We need to go out and do something fun that you like to do together. Go out to that restaurant you enjoy together. Go to that movie that you both want to see. Go do that hobby. Maybe it's time to hit that vacation up. You've been saving it up. Oh, someday we'll do it. Do it. You never know when life will end. Enjoy your spouse. If right now you're saying, Matt, I don't enjoy my spouse, well, it's time to change your attitude and get in there and love your spouse. Serve that person. Give them a back rub even if you don't want to touch them. I'm serious. Make yourself do it because as your actions do it, your attitude will begin to change. Your emotions will begin again. And as you love the person, which is an action, the emotions of love will follow. You need to enjoy your spouse. You need to enjoy your spouse if you want to live a meaningful life. That's what Solomon is teaching us here. You guys tracking with me? Verse 10, Solomon gives us another application, a fourth one. He says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead, where you are going, there is neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. What he's talking about working with your hands is work, your labor. We've had a whole message just on that, haven't we? You can go back and listen to that in our series if you missed it on stapletonchurch.com or on YouTube because you guys are going to start subscribing to that. You can find that video and the audio on our website as well. We need to work, and whatever our job is, whatever it is, we need to do it with all our might. We need to do it with excellence. We need to find meaning in our work. Okay, that's your application. Find meaning in your work because you're doing it 40-plus hours a week, right? Whatever your job is, whether you're a stay-at-home parent, whatever you're doing, if you're retired, find meaning in that work. That's good, too. Maybe you can volunteer. Maybe you can find new ways to serve people. But whatever it is, we need to find meaning in our work. I think that this is what Paul was quoting in Colossians 3.23. 
Colossians 3.23, Paul wrote, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as though you are working for the Lord and not for people. Do whatever you do. It isn't saying if you have a meaningful, purposeful job. No, no, no. Whatever you do, find meaning in it. Work at it with all your heart, serving God. Because if you're not finding meaning and purpose in your work, you're going to miss out on a lot. If you think about death coming, it's time to work better now and enjoy that. To work with meaning. Uh, I, I think someone who really understood this was Steve Jobs. In 2005, he gave the commencement address at Stanford University, and I want you to hear just a little clip of what he told them. When I was 17, I read a quote that went something like, if you live each day as if it was your last, someday you'll most certainly be right. (laughs) It made an impression on me, and since then, for the past 33 years, I have looked in the mirror every morning and asked myself, If today were the last day of my life, would I want to do what I am about to do today? And whenever the answer has been no for too many days in a row, I know I need to change something. Remembering that I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I've ever encountered to help me make the big choices in life. Because almost everything, all external expectations, all pride, all fear of embarrassment or failure, these things just fall away in the face of death leaving only what is truly important. Remembering that you are going to die is the best way I know to avoid the trap of thinking you have something to lose. You are already naked. There is no reason not to follow your heart. Pretty powerful, right? I think he's someone who lived that until he died just a few years ago. We can look. This is wisdom right now. Anyone can apply this. Think about death. What would you do if you knew you were going to die? Would you go after that thing? Would you work a little bit harder? Would you go after that degree? Maybe you would change careers. I want you to think about this this morning. We're looking death square in the face. How could you find meaning in your work? You know, I I heard an interview this week from Steve Lee, and he uh, runs a company called Ideation because he realized that so many people have ideas that they don't act on. You know what I'm talking about? And he said... He said, you know where the greatest treasures in the world are? Do you know where they are? Buried in a cemetery. Because people have these ideas, great grand things they could do, and they never do it. They have ways that they're going to transform the world, make it a better place, and they never act on it. They have novels that they didn't write, songs that they never sung, and I don't want that to happen to you. If you think, this is what God has called me to do, this is what he's created me to do, there's this thing that I've always wanted to do, this dream... Go for it. Because every man dies, not every man really lives. And I think this is some wisdom for us today that we need to learn to really live. E.M. Forster once said that death destroys a man. The idea of death saves him. Some of you need to change some things about your life today. Because death is coming for you. Death is coming for you. In fact, that's how Solomon closes this section in verse 11 and 12. In verse 11 he says, I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. In other words, stuff happens. Life is random. We don't know what's coming. 
But he says this. This is what we do know is coming in verse 12. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare, so people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. At some point you will die when you least expect it. It's coming. It's coming. You'll be caught like in a net or in a snare. It's coming. You don't know the hour when it will come. So are you ready? Are you living life now like you know death is coming later? Even coming soon? What would you change about your life if you did? You know, death does come when we least expect it. I don't know if you heard this story uh, back in 1996. There was a tenor for the Metropolitan Opera in New York City. And he was um, singing in the opera in, in the middle of it, and he sang a line that says, you can only live so long. Literally, that was his words. And just a few minutes later, he had a massive coronary, fell and died. Way to end the show, right? You only live so long. That's what he literally said before he died like that. An otherwise healthy man. We don't know when we're going to die. Death is coming at any moment. So are we ready for it? And I don't just mean living now, but I think we do need to bring out something else that's above the sun, right? Let's talk about it for just a minute here. Because some of you are, are terrified of death. Yeah, you might make some wise changes in your life, but you need to get ready for death. Are you ready? Do you know what's going to happen on the other side of the grave? Or are you like Solomon? I don't know whether love or hate awaits me. I don't know what's coming. If that's you and you don't know what's going to happen, I want you to take this moment. This is serious here. What's going to happen when you die? There's something that we can know will happen to us. Because 2,000 years ago, there was a man named Jesus. And he was one much wiser than Solomon, and he lived his life to the full, realizing that his meaningful work was to serve others, to minister to them. And as he helped them and loved them and healed them and told them about the good news, that's when he found the most meaning in his life. And he lived every day with meaning and purpose. He redeemed every moment. And then even though his life was cut short at an age of about 30 or 33, he had given a full, meaningful life. And when Jesus died on the cross, when he was nailed there, when he did not deserve to die, but he had all the life leave his body, when he breathed his last, his last something powerful happened. Because yes, Jesus died, but on the third day he rose from the dead, conquering over death, showing us that there is something afterwards. And when Jesus appeared to over 500 people over a span of 40 days, and, and then he ascended into heaven in that same human body that was, had been resurrected, a new body. He showed us that we too could have that kind of life. Jesus was the first fruits that we could have. That we too could have our bodies restored and one day we will li live forever. Maybe we won't have the same love, hate, and jealousy in this life, but it will be so much better in the next. Where we will be in the fullness of joy with a Father who loves us unconditionally. That's where I want to be. And Jesus showed us that we too could go there if we believe in his name. If we say, Jesus is my Lord and my Savior, I will follow him all the days of my life, then when you do make it to the other side of the grave, you will be living with him forever. All that you need to do is turn to Jesus in repentance and faith. And some of you need to do that right now. I want you to stare death in the face. Are you ready? I don't know when you will die. 
It, it could be 60 years from now. It could be on your way home. If you're watching on your line, you're like, uh-oh, I'm glad I didn't come this morning. We don't know when we're going to die, do we? We don't know when it will happen, when a heart attack could come, when you'll get hit by a car. We don't know. But we need to be ready, and some of you today need to get right with God. And I want to give you an opportunity right now, as Bobby comes up, to get right with God. Because every man dies, but not every man really lives. And if you really want to live, you shouldn't have to be afraid of death and deny it. You should be able to look it in the face and and say, hey, it's going to be okay. One of my uh, favorite authors is Eugene Peterson. He's the pastor's pastor. He passed away a few years ago. And as he he passed away, his uh, family said that he was all smiles. And one of the last things he said before he died was, let's go. Let's go. That's how I want to approach my own death when it comes. Maybe I'll know like that. Maybe we'll have a diagnosis and we'll know what's coming. But I want us to be able to say that. That's truly living. And if you really want to live now, you've got to be ready for death to come. So I want to give you that opportunity right now. Could everybody just bow your heads? Lord God, I pray right now for the people in this room. Lord, help us to really live, to change the way we're living right now. That we would begin to think differently, enjoy things, change our attitude. That we would eat things in a different way. That we'd be able to to work with meaning. That we'd be able to enjoy our spouses. Lord God, help us to celebrate the moments that we get to live. What a pleasure and what a privilege it is that we even have one more moment to live. Lord, help us to change our attitude and our mindset. And with everybody's eyes still closed, if you're here uh, and you are a follower of Jesus already, I want you to just start praying for the people around you. For the people who haven't gotten right with God yet. I I pray that you, 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 and I just ask you to just pray for them. And if you're here and you're saying, Matt, I'm not right with God. I want to, though. I want to get right with God. I want to know that when I die, I will have eternal life. And if you're here and you're saying that that's me, with everybody's eyes closed, would you please just raise your hand? If you're ready to get right with God this morning. Would you raise your hand? Everybody's eyes are closed. Lord, I I pray right now for those people who are ready and wanting to get right with you right now, that that you would speak to their hearts, that right now they could declare out to you that they are sinners, that they need your forgiveness, that they need your hope and your gift of eternal life. And I pray that you'd help them to follow you the rest of their days so that this life would be the fullest life and they would know that what comes after, that they could celebrate and say, let's go, I'm ready. If you got right with God this morning, I want you to come see me in the back. Or if you're here and you just need prayer, I'm going to be in the back. We're going to have a few others that are in the back. We just want to pray for you. We're going to be here as, as this song uh, continues. And, and, and I just pray, Lord, that, that you would just help us all to really live, to really live this life. In Jesus' name we pray. One of the other things we do, and I'll be in the back in just a minute, but we're going to take communion today. Uh, On the first Sunday of the month, we do this because we remember Jesus' death. And as we sit here thinking about his death, this is an opportunity for us to confess our sins, to get right with God, to examine ourselves, say, am I right with God? And, And as we remember that his body was broken, that his blood was shed, we know that we can be forgiven.
So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, even if today was the first day you asked Jesus to save you, it's the first day you got right with him, I want you to take this with you. And we're going to pass this out and we're going to all hold on to it together and we're going to take it as a, as a church family. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, please take it with us. If you're not, please just let that bread and the cup pass you by. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. And all my days I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up until I lay in my head, I will sing for the goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful And all my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God darkest night you are close like no other I've known you as a father I've known you as a friend and I have lived in the goodness of God and all my life you have been faithful All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God You know, just this last week there was a gentleman in my church in Nebraska now, before I got there, he had never come to church. He was in his 70s, but he started coming when I got there. And I got to know him, and I know that he had received salvation. And just this last week, he died. And even though he waited so long, I'm so grateful that he came to know Jesus before the end. And that's why I know that even though he died this last week, that he is with our Savior in paradise. And that was all made possible because of what Jesus did. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, saying, This body is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Lord God, we are so grateful that we know where we're going 
after we die. Because of your, your body broken for us, your blood shed for us, our sins have been forgiven, and we are right with you in this moment. All our past is forgiven. The sins that we are even thinking about and doing in this moment and the ones we will do in the future are all covered by the blood of Christ. And we are so grateful for that. Lord, we want to sing about the goodness of the Lord this morning. And we want to live differently right now, knowing that death is coming. Lord, help us to live, to really live like your son Jesus did. I pray this in Jesus' name.